Again, good to see each one. You have your Bibles open to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. One verse of scripture we're going to start with, but I tell you what, we got a lot to go over today. We may get uh, uh, after 12, but that's okay. It's okay to do that now and then, okay? No, seriously, I've got a lot to go over this morning. As I want to talk to you about the difference in demon oppression and demon possession. This is something a lot of people, you know, don't understand. And I've had people ask me this question before, you know. Do you think I'm possessed? Some of them I want to say, yeah, I do, but that's a different story all in its own, you know. But, uh, you know, for the child of God, you need to understand you cannot be demon-possessed. We're going to get that clear here in this moment. However, you can be demon-oppressed. And the sad thing is there's a lot of people in our churches today who are going through demon oppression and they're wondering why, you know, the, the, their life is going the way it is. But here's what Paul said in Ephesians 6. Again, keep your Bibles open or your tablet uh, on or your phone on, however you do your Bible nowadays. And uh, because we got a lot to look at this morning scripture-wise. But Ephesians, Paul said this, and this has been our base text throughout this study Thirteen weeks we've been on spiritual warfare. we got one more to go. But uh, here's what Paul said. We wrestle not, and this is what he's wanting to understand. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. In other words, this battle that we're in is not a physical battle. He says, but it's against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul is wanting us to understand that the battle we are going through is not a physical battle, it is a spiritual battle, and it's with forces that we're not able to see, we're not able to feel, we're not able to touch. In other words, this spiritual battle that we're going, uh, that we're fighting, we must understand that you know, we can't win it without our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, one of the questions, again, that many people ask is whether or not a Christian can be demon-possessed. And the question also arises many times about, well, what is the difference in that and demon oppression? Okay, and what's the difference, if any? Now, to answer that question, we must first understand a couple of terms. All right, the first term is possession. What does it mean to be possessed? What does it mean if I possess something? The definition of that is the act or state of owning or holding something. That's the simple definition there. For instance, if you had a house, and by the way, termites are swarming right now, aren't they? Anybody gotten, done been seeing the swarms? We have too, okay? But termites, let's just say that you have a house, for instance, and that house is infested with termites. The term you use would not be the termites possess my house. The term that we use is with something like this. My house is infested with termites. Would that be a fair statement? We don't say my house is possessed by termites. Rather, my house is infested with termites. You see, we understand that we as the owner possess the house. We as the owner possess the house, but that does not, just because we possess the house, does not protect us from the attack and destruction of the termites. So the termites can infect 
our house, but they don't possess our house. We possess the house, but again, they can do a lot of destruction. So we don't, we, we don't say, uh, uh, see the house as being termite-possessed, you know. We see the termites as a destructive force that needs to be dealt with and removed from our house. Now, in similar manner, the child of God is God-possessed. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are God-possessed. The Bible teaches that when we come to Christ, we get adopted into the family of God, and now His Holy Spirit possesses us. In other words, we are possessed by the Holy Spirit of God. He now resides within us. And while we, once we belong to that kingdom of darkness, we've been grafted into the kingdom of light. We now belong to God. We are His prized possession. However, in like manner as with the termites, our house, the Holy Spirit, controls it. The Holy Spirit can be infested, in, uh, you know, uh, within, or should I say, the Holy Spirit, uh, the demons cannot infest our house if we're a child of God. Now, we call this demonic, or excuse me, let me back up here. We, we, we call this, when we're infested uh, or being tormented by demon uh, 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 beings, oppression. Okay, I'll get all this right here in a moment. So we call this demonic oppression, which involves attacks on our soul and our body realm, including our thoughts, even physical sickness, but not demon possession where, because we are possessed by the Holy Spirit. On the other hand, let's look at oppression. Oppression, that simply means the subject of a person or a people to a harsh or cruel form of dom, uh, dom, uh, uh, Somebody say that word for me. Domination, there you go. To be a source of worry, stress, or trouble to someone. So when someone is oppressed, that means that there's a source that is causing them to worry, causing them to be stressed out, causing trouble within their life. You're told in the passage here in Ephesians 6 that there are demons that war against both God and God's people. And if that wasn't bad enough, folks, sometimes people open themselves up to demonic oppression. There's many people in many churches who are constantly doing things that are opening themselves up to be oppressed by demonic forces. And we're going to look at some of those things here in just a moment. Now, if you're a Christian, again, you need to understand, you cannot be demon-possessed. I hope we got that straight. You cannot be because you're already possessed by the Holy Spirit of God. But you can do some things or you can open up yourself to being oppressed by demonic forces. So demonic oppression is the attack by demonic forces that can result in depression, which can bring about illness, which can bring about financial difficulties, which can bring about fear, bad dreams, anything. Here's what demonic oppression will do. It will bring about things within our life, anything that will cause us to worry, stress, or trouble ourselves. Now, if you're one who is always being worrying, <laughs> I, uh, just stick with me here. I don't condemn no one. 
But I'm saying, if you are a person who is always worrying, who is always stressed out, who is always a troubled individual, you may want to take a look and see if you're being oppressed by demonic forces because that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to be worried. He wants you to be stressed. He wants you to, you know, uh, because what does all this do? It, all this draws you away from God. So, again, demonic oppression is the attack by demonic forces that can result in depression. Depression. If you're a person who is always depressed, again, maybe you need to step back, spend some time with God, okay, and ask God if this is oppression coming upon you by Satan. Now, let's get started here. Things that can open the door to demonic depression. What, what is it that we as a child of God does or can do that will open the door for demonic oppression within our life? You know, there's nothing a Christian can do that's going to bring about demonic possession. Okay? So let's, let's make sure we understand that. There is nothing, if you're saved, there is nothing that you can do that's going to cause the devil to be able to possess you. No demonic forces whatsoever, as you're already possessed by the Holy Spirit, as we've done said. But there are some things that you can do, some things that you allow yourself to do that can open the door to possible oppression within your life. And the list that I'm going to go over is by no means an exhaustive list. There's more, but... I'll be honest with you, i got seven pages of notes. Normally i got four, so that tells you how much we got to go over this morning. But let's take a look at some things, okay? First of all is past involvement in occult activities, okay? If even in the past you have been involved in some occult activities, or if now you're involved in some occult activities, that is a way to open the door for demonic oppression now you say i ain't gonna worship satan listen to me there's other ways of being involved in in occult activity rather than being a part of wicca or uh, you know worshiping satan or whatever we talked about this last week anyone who is involved in playing with ouija boards you are involved in occultic activities do i hear an amen or oh me because that is, uh, it, that is one of the uh, tools Satan has used, I know, since the what, late 60s, early 70s, you know, to, 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 to make it look like occult activity is something fun. You know, tarot cards. If you're involved in tarot cards, astrology, seances, attempting to communicate with dead spirits, and, and things like this, you are involved in occult activity. Now, you can try to cover it up all you want and try to make it look pretty all you want, but listen to me this morning. You are opening yourself up to oppression by demonic forces if you are involved in this. And how sad that many believers see nothing wrong with some of these things, yet they, they, they're confused when demonic oppression begins to affect, affect their life. They say, why is this happening? See what you're involving in, yourself in. Now, the next thing is, Past involvement in false religions. Past involvement in false religions. Turn there to First, uh, first Timothy 4. You see the, the scriptures there and also Matthew chapter 24. Again, there's a lot of people 
who are Christian people who do not realize that if they are involved or have been involved in the past in false religions, that this can open a door for demonic oppression within your life. Let's take a look. Like I said, we got a bunch of scripture to look at this morning, probably 10, 15, so keep your Bibles open. But false religions are ultimately doctrines of demons. We've got to understand that. Now, false religion don't sound bad, does it? Well, that's just something I don't believe in. But listen to me. False, uh, uh, false religions are doctrines of demons. Okay? Here's what Paul told young Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, uh, 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressionally that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, heed, uh, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now again, that does not just mean satanic worship. Any false religion is a doctrine of the devil. Look here, it's either a doctrine of God or doctrine of the devil, right? There's no in-between. So let's don't try to color code it here. So if it's not a doctrine of God, if it's not a doctrine that is found within the 66 books that God has given to us, then it's a doctrine of the devil. And again, we can whitewash it all we want, but that, I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, look at Matthew 24, 24. Jesus, again, talking in the last days here. Matthew 24, 24. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. Now look at this. In so much. Now in so much is making reference to what he has just said that these false, uh, these false doctrines, these false preachers, these false prophets, he says is going to do, be able to be so convincing. Now look at this last part. That if it were possible they should deceive even the very elect. In other words, they're going to smooth it over so good, they're going to make it look so, I mean, they're going to make it look like a, a, a carrot cake, you know, or, 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 or a, 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 a what, what is that pie I like? I can't even think of it now. I, I hadn't had one. Uh, coconut cream with all the calf slobber on it. I mean, you know, uh, you know they're going to make it look so pretty that even the very elect could be deceived. Folks, that's what false doctrine do. They cover it up so well. So to even dabble in false religions is to directly dabble in demonic activity. Such false religions. You say, well, what is false religion? So I'll be aware of them. Now, some ain't going to like this, but that's okay. Okay, but let me tell you something. False religions such as Mormonism, that is a false religion. Jehovah's Witness is a false religion. You know, Buddhism is a false religion. Islam is a false religion. Any religion that claims another God rather than God Jehovah is a false religion. And a child of God has no business even dabbling in it. Stay away from it, because if you don't, you're, you can open the door for demonic oppression within your life. Now, the next thing, again, some aren't going to like this, but that's okay. You've got to love me anyway. But alcohol or drug use, 
You say, whoa, 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 whoa. How can alcohol or drug use open a door of opportunity for demonic oppression? Well, I'm going to answer that question. You see, one may wonder, you know, how can this be? How can me drinking alcohol or how can me smoking a little joint now and then, you know, it makes my back feel a whole lot better, okay? How can me just dabbling in either alcohol or drug bring about demonic activity that could open the door to demonic pressure in my life? Look, drugs and alcohol, here's what they do, and here's the danger. They alter the state of the mind. You with me? They alter the state of the mind and can even, as a result of altering the state of your mind, invite demonic activity since it promotes the loss of control of the mind as denying God's intention to be sober-minded. Remember we talked last week about how we're to be sober-minded. Now look at a couple of scriptures here. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. 19 and 20. And while you're turning, go ahead and turn to the book of the Revelation, chapter 9, and the Revelation, chapter 18. But let's start with Galatians, chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Looks like I forgot to put those up there. That's all right. I'm entitled to a mistake. If I was perfect, y'all would have to crucify me on that cross that's behind the screen there, okay? Galatians 5, 19. We're talking here about how the, the, the use of drugs or alcohol can invite demonic oppression as a result of altering the state of our mind. Galatians 5.19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Okay? Sexual immorality. Now, here, here's what he's going to list some things here that when you follow that desire of your heart, the desire of the sinful nature that exists within you, and again, once you alter the state of your mind, it's easy for us to, you know, fall into some of these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, uh, outburst of anger, self-ambition, uh, 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 dissension, and division. Now, keep in mind that. Now, go to Revelation chapter 9. In fact, uh, the word sorcery in there, you may want to keep that in your mind where he says idolatry and sorcery. We'll be coming back to sorcery in just a moment. Revelation 9, 20. Okay. Revelation 9, 20, And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should, uh, should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk, neither repent they of their murder nor of their sorceries. There's that word sorcery again, okay? I'm going to come back to it. Nor of their fornication, nor of their theft. Now go to the Revelation chapter 18. Revelation 18, verse 23. 
and the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and, the, and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. Now here's that word again. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. Now why am I pointing out that word sorcery? Because in the Greek, this word sorcery here is the Greek word uh, pharmakia, pharmakia. You got any idea where we get, what word we get from pharmakia? Pharmacy. That's where we get our word pharmaceutical. Now what is a pharmaceutical, okay? But that's where we get the word medicine or drugs. So the Greek word there, okay, pharmakia, it simply means medication or a drug. So when someone is involved, when you see that word sorcery there, that's usually what it's talking about, drug use. To alter the state of the mind. Okay, now the next thing is, is again, something else a lot of believers are involved in nowadays. And the sad thing is, a believer involved in this can hide it. Okay, and that is pornography. Pornography. You say, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, how can pornography open up a door for demonic oppression? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. Okay? This is a sin of lust that can easily open up a person to demonic influences and control in their life. Again, what we just looked at in Galatians 5:19, Paul mentioned sexual immorality and impurity and lustful pleasures. You know, one of the most sickest people in this world are child predators, in my humble opinion. I don't think there's anything worse than a child predator, a person who will, you know, molest little children. Now, what does this have to do with pornography? And we may ask the question, how could someone in their right mind do something like this to a child? Well, they're not in their right mind. I mean, that's an easy question or an easy answer there. Now, listen to me here. You may disagree, but if you do, you've got a right to be wrong. You understand that, okay? So here's the thing. In many cases, a child predator started out with pornography. In many cases. Listen, in nearly 40 years being with CPS, we have had many children in our home that has been molested. And in most of those cases, in most of those cases, pornography was involved in the family. So that's why I know what I'm talking about. But in many cases, in most cases, this child predator started out with pornography, which opened their mind to demonic influences which led to their molest, molesting of little children. You see, just like drugs, let, 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 let me compare this to drugs. You know, one may start out smoking a marijuana cigarette now and then, and it gets them to that little old high there, and they say, man, this is great. But after a while, that marijuana is not giving them that high they desire. So what do they do? They go to a stronger drug. 
because this is no longer giving them that high. So now they go to crack or they go to coke or even heroin, whatever, because they want that high that marijuana is no longer giving them. That's why they call marijuana a gateway drug, because it's the gate to stronger drugs. Now, what's that got to do with pornography? It's because I think with pornography it's the same. When that high or that rush of just looking at those pictures no longer satisfy this individual, then one has to find satisfaction another way. Because that rush is not there no more. That, that high is not there no more. So what do they do? They turn to molesting little children. And it gives them that rush. It gives them that high. But what did pornography do? It opened their mind to demonic influences within their life. Within their life. We could stay there a while, but i got too much to go over this morning. We may be here till tonight. Who knows? But that's okay. The next thing is occult meditation techniques. Now, what in the world am I talking about here? Occult meditation techniques. This would include emptying our, the mind, you know, in meditation, just emptying our mind, uh, centering prayer, which a centering prayer is a method of meditation placing a strong infant, uh, or, or inference on uh, interior silence, just being quiet within ourselves. That's what centering prayer is. In other words, connecting to our inner self. Well, by nature, are we... Good or evil, by nature. So if we want to connect with our inner self, we better be careful. We better be careful because if a demonic, you know, a demonic influence can see that and they can move in on your inner self. Also, the repeating of a single word or a phrase, a single phrase for a long period of time, just basically a chant, can open the door. To demonic entrance. You see, all these practices can induce and, uh, and alter the state of our consciousness, and when it does, it promotes a loss of uh, personal control of our mind. Folks, we never want to give up our mind to nothing but the Holy Spirit of God. So one must never allow their mind to be altered to the point they lose control of it. That's what occult meditation is all about. Now, here's one that some people don't realize, and that is someone placing a curse upon you. Now you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can someone really place a curse upon me? Let's talk about that just for a moment. Sometimes people involved in occult activity will place a curse on you or your family because, you know, you've done something wrong or said something or just whatever. Look, it is not that you can actually be cursed as a Christian. Let's get that straight first. If you're a child of God, you cannot be cursed by anyone. It cannot happen. Rather, those who are against Christ and his people, what they can do is focus demonic activity on you, and in your mind, once you know that, you can accept that, and then what does it do? It gets you to worry, doesn't it? They can't place that curse upon you. But if you listen to their nonsense, then your mind gets to say, well, wait a minute. 
can this really happen? And, I mean, if you get up there in the middle of the night and, and step on a Lego that your kid laid in the middle of the floor, you know, you, then you're going to say, well, maybe that's the curse. You, you see what I mean? Things start happening and you start believing maybe this curse thing is real. Listen to me, child of God. You cannot have a curse placed upon you. But what you can do is listen to their nonsense and allow Satan to begin to play with your mind to make you begin to wonder if this could really happen. Look, if you're aware of what can cause a problem in your life, you can take steps to avoid it. Likewise, if you're aware that, uh, of what might cause demonic oppression in your life, then you can take steps to avoid it. Now, the second thing here is this. What is demonic oppression? See a bunch of scriptures here. Let's turn to 1 Samuel there first. 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16, Luke 8, Acts 16. Because what we're going to see here is the Bible affirms the existence of demons, excuse me, numerous times in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are demonic forces out there. There are demonic forces that are, you know, after you. There are demonic forces that wants to you know, affect your relationship with God. So, yes, there are demonic forces. And the Bible affirms this in both the New and the Old Testament. First Samuel 16, verse 13. Now, I'm going to come back and I'm going to comment on this passage of Scripture because this is one of those Scriptures that's confusing to many. But I want to go over some others, and I'm going to come back to this. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. Now, at this time, Saul was anointed king. Saul was the king at this time. God made him king. God anointed him with his spirit when he made him king. You see, this is before the coming of the Holy Spirit. So it, when, when God would ordain a king, God would send his spirit upon that king. Let's understand that. So now Samuel took this horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David. So because Saul, uh, Saul was not a godly king, God said, you know, I've had enough of you. Now David's going to be king. So what we see here in this passage of Scripture is Samuel anointing David with the oil, which oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Now, so Samuel took the horn of oil, and he anointed David in the midst of the brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward now look at this now david's the king right now david has received the anointing of the holy spirit right this means yes this means low if you're like this i know you're asleep okay all right here look here david from that day forward so samuel rose up and went to Rahab. now look at this here's the confusing passage that we're going to come back to now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit, here's the confusing part, from the Lord terrorized him. That is not teaching you can lose your salvation. Let's get that straight right off the bat. But what happened is Saul was anointed king. Saul had the presence of the Holy Spirit. He was a very unfaithful, he is a very ungodly man, so God said David's going to be the king, so he took his Holy Spirit and he anointed David. Now, look at eight, uh, Luke chapter 8. I'll come back to that, explain it, because I know it's a very confusing passage, but I'm going to come back. 
I want to lay some other groundwork first. Luke 8.30. This is a story you remember where this guy was running naked in a cemetery and you know he, he was possessed full of demons. He wasn't oppressed. He was possessed with demons. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 30, Jesus asked him this question. What is your name? Now his answer was this. My name is Legion. Why is his name Legion? Because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was a herd of, uh, of many swine feeding on the mountain, and they besought him that he would suffer them to enter them. In other words, they knew Jesus could just wipe them out. And they said, look, no, 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 don't do that. You know, Look, there, there's a bunch of hogs down there. Why don't you take and just... Take us out of this guy and put us in the hogs. Jesus complied. So these hogs was feeding there, and he besought him that he would enter into them, and he suffered them. In other words, he, he allowed it. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine, and the herd violently down a, ran violently down a steep place into the lake and choked. Hey, the, 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 the hogs had enough sense to kill themselves, okay, when they realized they was full of demons. Now, one more, Acts 16. Acts 16. So what do we see here? We see possession. We see here Jesus has control over demons. Now, look at here. Luke, I mean, Acts 16, verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us. This woman, again, was possessed, not oppressed. And uh, the same followed, talking about this woman, they, she followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now you say, well, what was wrong with that? She was letting everyone know that Paul and then was preaching the gospel. Let's read on. And this she did many days, but Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit, the spirit that possessed her, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out on that, in that same hour. Again, these people were possessed. Jesus had the authority to cast out the demons. Paul had the authority to cast out the demons. But let's go to back to that verse in 1 Samuel 16 that catches the attention of many. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Now looking at that, you would just right off the top of your head say, well, God filled him with an evil spirit. Listen to me, God does not do that. And I'm going to show you some scripture to justify that. The thought is, why would God send an evil spirit upon Saul? And if we're to understand verse 14, I think it's important not to just look at a certain word or a certain sentence here, but look at the whole story. Look at the whole discussion here. The context of this passage, as I mentioned just a moment ago, is that God had sent his spirit upon Saul when he became king, but after many, many instances of disobedience, God rejected Saul as king. 
Okay? And he selected David to be the new king upon whom he would give his spirit. So if the spirit of God came out of Saul, then there was an emptiness there. And what's going to happen when there's an emptiness? A demonic spirit is going to move in. God took his spirit from Saul, but God did not send the evil spirit into Saul. Saul was now open to receive that evil spirit. Let me, let me show you what I'm talking about here. Let me, let, 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 let's look at a, a couple of other things here. So with the Holy Spirit leaving Saul, you know, this troubling spirit comes upon him. So the context shows us something that is, uh, is, is you know, to where Saul's punishment for his disobedience was losing the Holy Spirit. Therefore, tormenting spirits is not sent uh, to an innocent man but one who continually rejects God's word. Furthermore, this happened to a person who was playing a key role in God by being the king, and God gave him his Holy Spirit. However, God's mercy gives some relief to Saul through God, uh, David playing his harp. In other words, when you continue reading there, I'm going to get into the whole story due to time, but when this harmful spirit would begin to torment Saul, David would play his harp, and by the grace of God, it would ease it, okay? So we must understand this evil spirit does not mean that God is the source of evil things. Remember in James 1, you know, that God does not tempt a man with evil. God does not, okay? So God was not the cause of this evil. Again, if you want to look at Job, if you want to look at Job, you know, uh, God allowed Satan to afflict Job, but God himself did not afflict Job. You understand? God allowed it. In the same way with Saul there. Once God's spirit was gone, there was a void. That void was filled by demonic forces. God allowed that to happen. God did not cause that to happen. So this might give us some insight, okay? Let's move on. It's also worth noting how the New Testament shows people afflicted by demons, which could describe, be described as evil spirits, but, but that uh, these demons can be cast out by Jesus and acknowledge that Jesus can command them. The, whole, the New Testament tells us many times of Jesus uh, you know, getting rid of these evil spirits. So throughout the Scripture and in this passage, we see that God is not the author of evil, but he does allow consequences for evil within a person's life. We can't ever forget that. So each one was possession that we looked at here. Uh, let's move on, John, to the next uh, part there, okay? I could spend too much time here. So prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, the demon possession was possible for anyone. In other words, prior to the coming of the Holy Spirit, there was a void in everyone. And because of that, demon possession was possible for everyone, okay? In both the Old and the New Testament, we see examples where the Bible speaks about the influence that de demons had on someone's life. Look at Mark chapter 5. Turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. What we're going to see here is, while you're turning there, is when one is, uh, is demon-possessed, they are completely held hostage by demons so much that he or she, whichever it is, cannot function 
and for all practical purposes ceases to exist as his or her own person. Let me show you what I'm talking about. And there came over on the other side, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, into the country of the Gadareans. And when uh, he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man in the tombs with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken to pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. Does this sound like a person who is in control of himself? No. And the reason he was not in control of himself was he was not oppressed. He was possessed by demons. Okay? Now, the next thing here is the Bible in various places speak of a person having an unclean spirit that negatively influenced or affected his or her life in some way, either major or minor, yet not possessed by demons. Okay? So in various places, we see that they are possessed. In other places, we see they're not possessed, just oppressed. So some have tried to confide the work of demons in the lives of humanity, you know, that all is demon possession. But the Scripture in no way limits the work of demonic forces you know, and again, in Mark chapter 5 here is portrayed, uh, you know, that we see here, this person was possessed. Now, all of you may remember the movie The Exorcist, you know. Boy, I remember when that sucker come out. That was a spooky movie. But that person was possessed, not oppressed. So when one is demon oppressed, here's the difference. When one is demon oppressed, they're easily influenced to follow evil over righteousness, to choose evil over good. Look at Acts chapter 5. I'll give you an example of some believers who were oppressed, not possessed. You know the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of land. They brought their, quote, tithe to the uh, church, okay? But they kept back just a little bit, Okay? They weren't truly honest with what they sold the land for. And here's the story, Acts chapter 5, verse 1. And a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a possession, and they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Paul, uh, Peter uh, said, Ananias, why, look at this, why has Satan filled thy heart Okay, to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back a portion of what you sold the land for. Now, Ananias and Sapphira were not possessed, but they were oppressed. Again, look at that definition I got there. Demon oppression is, means you can be easily influenced to follow evil over good. And that's what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. They chose to follow evil over good now let's see scripture also speaks of demons being able to cause sickness a lot of people don't realize this but demons are you know being able to cause sickness or physical infirmities now how does that come about by worry you know doctors will tell you that stress is one of the most um, you know uh, frequent things that causes sickness upon people 
If you're a person that's always stressed, you're going to have some physical problems. I mean, that's just the way it is. Because stress on your body is going to bring about physical problems to your body. Uh, let's see. Look at Matthew chapter 9, okay? Yeah, I got that up there. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, and then Luke 13, 1. Let me show you some instances here where, you know, the demons were able to cause sickness or other physical infirmities, whether it's possession or oppression. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man. This man was possessed. He wasn't oppressed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years. This is Luke 13, 11, and was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. So in verse 13, uh, you know, uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse 13, and he laid his hand on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Notice these were possessed, not oppressed. Though sickness can directly occur from possession, it can indirectly occur from oppression again because of what the stress brings upon a person so when we open the door to oppression it brings about worry it brings about stress it brings about uh, anxiety which is going to bring about health issues into your life let her see here okay while the bible is clear that uh, demonization is real it also communicates the truth that god is sovereign over demons and that God or Jesus possesses full authority over the enemy. Mark chapter 1, verse 27. Look at that. Mark 1, 27. Okay, I think we're going to finish in time. Close. Or is it already after 12? Okay, then I'm going to keep going. Okay. Let, let, let's look at Mark 1, 27. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? What new doctrine is this? For uh, with authority commandeth even him, or he even, the unclean spirit, and they do obey him. What is this about? Jesus has authority over demonic forces. You know, a hallmark of Jesus' ministry while he was here on this earth was conquering the powers of darkness in a public way. And these people were so amazed, and they said, look, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. What is the unclean spirit? Demonic beings. Now, there's three important truths that we'll close here, you know, with uh, that the Christian should always keep at the forefront of their minds when the subject of demonization comes up. Because Christ has all authority over both demon possession and demon oppression, there's some things here we can't miss, okay? First of all, we must understand Christ's position and his victory over the enemy. We've got to understand the position of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, scripture says in Colossians 2.15, you don't have to turn there, but it says he had disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them uh, uh, to open shame by triumphing over them. So Jesus is seated above all demonic powers, and he's fully destroyed the work of Satan. And not only is Christ seated above all demonic realm, he has authority over them. Now the next thing here is we must understand as believers, we as believers, as Christians, we are too are seated with him in heavenly places. 
We're seated with Christ. Not that we're going to be seated. Look at Ephesians 2. We're already seated with him in heavenly places. What that means is by his authority, no authority on our own, but by the authority of Jesus Christ who is in heavenly places and as believers, we're set with him in heavenly places. We have by his authority the ability to overcome any demonic influence within our life. Ephesians 2, 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved, and he has raised us up together and made us, look at this, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Not will make us to sit in heavenly places. He has made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What he means by that is through the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, as as we as his believers, we as his followers, through him have the authority over demonic forces. This means all Christians, by their position in Christ, has authority over demonic oppression and demonic influence of any kind. Of course, it is Christ who provides that authority, not we on our own. The next thing, as Christians, we must understand our protection in Christ. We're protected in Christ. The Bible is clear in many passages concerning the protection and authority we have over Satan and his forces, including the following. I'm going to give you four of them. I think I put them in your notes. Here's what he says. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them for he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, is greater than any demonic force in this world. The next thing that he says there, we know that everyone who has been born of God, who, just the preacher, just the deacon, just the Sunday school teacher, just the children's worker, no. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The next one, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us the spirit of power and love. And look at this, self-control. Self-control. And the fourth one here is that, Behold, I have given you authority. Who's given the authority? Jesus has given the authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Listen. If you're being oppressed by demonic forces, these scriptures are telling you that through the power and the authority that Jesus Christ has given you, you can overcome. But you've got to make up your mind to do it. You've got to make up your mind to do it. Paul writes, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So while the Bible confirms the truth that demons can afflict humanity, it also speaks of the fact that Christians have the authority and have the power over demons and you can defeat them nothing to fear from them the proper mindset 
for victory is to be in Christ, which is something I believe is spelled out well by A.W. Tozer. Here's what A.W. Tozer had to say. Throw it up there, John. There you go. The scriptural way to see things is to set the Lord always before us. The Lord needs to be forefront. The Lord needs to be right there before us. Put Christ in the center of our vision. In other words, that's where our focus needs to be, focused on him. And if Satan is lurking around, okay, if Satan, uh, Satan is lurking around, he's going to appear on the margin only and seen as a shadow. In other words, your peripheral vision, it may catch a glimpse of him, but it's kind of just a shadow there of Satan lurking around. But our focus must remain on Jesus. Our focus must remain on Jesus. It's always wrong to reverse this, Tozer says, to set Satan as the focus of our vision and push God into the margin. And listen to me. When you put Satan at the focus and you put God on the peripheral, okay, you are going to suffer demonic oppression as a child of God. For those who are not children of God, you have just opened yourself up for demonic possession by having Jesus out and in the margin. And he went on to say, nothing but tragedy can come from such inversion. Nothing but tragedy. The best way to keep the enemy out is to keep Christ in. It is not the praying sheep. I, I love this. It is not the praying sheep Satan fears, okay? But it's the presence of the shepherd that he fears. Look at here. I don't know your, your spiritual position this morning. But if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are able to become possessed by Satan sometime in your life. But the only way to make sure that doesn't happen is to fill that spiritual void within your life with the Holy Spirit. And you do that by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, forgive me a sinner. Come into my life. Save my soul. The Holy Spirit now takes up residence within your life. You are now possessed by the Holy Spirit, never having to be worried about being possessed by an evil spirit. Yes, you can be oppressed at times, but not possessed. Child of God, if you're here today and, you know, some of the things that we said, I know I went way over, information overload this morning, Brother Danny, information overload. But uh, anyway, maybe you're going through some oppression in your life and you realize it's because Satan has just got you stressed in life. And this stress is bringing about depression in your life. It's bringing about family problems in your life. It's bringing about, um, you know, medical problems in your life. You can do something about that this morning. How do I know that? Because all the scriptures we just read about the power and authority you have over that oppression in your life. But you've got to act upon it. So maybe you're here this morning and child of God, but... You need to come down to this altar and leave some things for God this morning. Let's pray. Father.